Welcome back. My name is Aaron Abke, and in this episode of Spiritual Intelligence, we're going to begin learning and exploring a sort of new model for enlightenment that I hope will provide us with a fresh context through which to see the awakening path. Because one of the biggest roadblocks that I've observed, which we come up against on this path, are not the necessarily the difficulty of the path itself, but the beliefs we hold about how impossibly unattainable a state like enlightenment is. And I believe this happens mostly by virtue of the baggage that a lot of these labels carry because of the way we associate them in our minds. For example, when we hear the word enlightenment, a big part of us automatically thinks, whoa, enlightenment? That's like the state the Buddha attained. I don't really know if that's possible for someone like me. So right out of the gate, we exclude ourselves from the possibility of liberation. Not because it is impossible by any means, but simply because we believe that it is. So for this reason, I've been very interested for some time now in cultivating some new, fresh terminology that will invite us to see the Enlightenment path not as something to be pedestalized or to see as only available for a few special, rare people in this life, but something that is absolutely our destiny and our birthright to experience as divine beings. So I'd like to invite you to join me in this second episode of Spiritual Intelligence as we discuss and explore the state of mastery. So to start things off, I want you to begin seeing the term enlightenment, not as some super cosmic state of consciousness reserved only for Buddha and Krishna, but simply as the development and cultivation of spiritual intelligence. And if you haven't seen the first episode in this series about what spiritual intelligence is, please go back and watch that episode before diving into this one. But because we're really just talking about the development of spiritual intelligence, I prefer to use the term illumination rather than enlightenment, because it sort of implies that we're just looking to uncover and illuminate the blind spots within ourselves. And likewise, instead of using the term self-realization, which immediately implies connotations of ascended masters, let's just call it the state of mastery. Because a sage who has attained this state that we call self-realization could also be said to simply be someone who has achieved total self-mastery. Now, that doesn't sound so impossible, does it? After all, no one's closer and more intimate to you than your own self. So if there's anything you're capable of mastering, shouldn't it be your own self? So to develop the qualities necessary for self-mastery should not be seen as something far-fetched. It should be seen as something that everyone should aspire for, because everyone is included in this conversation. So this entire series is going to be dedicated to showing you the way of attaining the state of mastery. And we're going to be looking at the state from many different angles and using many different teaching modalities, most notably of which are going to be Vedantic Hinduism, the seven energy centers, and the science of human brainwave states. But before we talk about how to get there, we need to know what our destination is. What exactly is the state of mastery? And here it is, 
The state of mastery is the ability to create the most desirable state of consciousness needed for any given situation at will. Mastery is essentially the ability to be in your chosen state of being regardless of the circumstances. So someone who is enlightened is someone who is no longer moved or affected by what's happening outside of them. So if you're in a situation, for example, where everyone else is losing their mind and panicking, and you need to be able to remain calm and grounded and access intuition or higher knowledge, well, that's no problem for someone who's attained mastery. Mastery is essentially the capacity to overwhelm your circumstance with your chosen state of consciousness. Because remember, we do not go somewhere to access a state of consciousness. We create the state of consciousness that we want. So someone who's attained self-mastery has the capacity to create change in the circumstance through mind alone by emanating the energy that they wish to create in that situation. So this is obviously an ability that is cultivated gradually over time through consistent practice and devotion to this path. It's not something that can be rushed. If you try to rush mastery, you only impede it because you allow the ego to put it on a pedestal and make it a future outcome that I'll attain one day. Instead of that, what we want is to simply fall in love with the journey of evolution and cultivation of mastery itself. You want to wake up every day with excitement and inspiration to master a little bit more of your quality of consciousness today. That is the attitude of a true master. When it comes to spiritual growth, this is the main problem facing the vast majority of humanity. That everyone is just sort of barreling through life at 100 miles an hour while trying to find quick fixes to solve their problems and plug holes in the dam while they're on a mad sprint after their desires and sensual pleasures and all the things in the world they think are going to fulfill them. Have a health problem? Take this pill to suppress those symptoms. Feeling depressed? Take these drugs to get high and ignore what you're feeling inside. Are you feeling bored and uninspired with your life? Watch this Netflix show, and so on and so forth. And living like this literally weakens the mind and the nervous system and further exacerbates any imbalances that there are in the mind. So instead of being in the mentality of rushing, we always want to be in the mentality of slowing things way, way down, becoming extremely present and still with life and allowing it to teach us and speak to us. Mastery is not about learning to control life, but learning how to listen to life. No one cultivates mastery by fighting and resisting the divine will, but by surrendering to it completely and merging with it and flowing with it. That is the state of true power. So we're not trying to overpower the mind but simply learn how the mind works and understand what its strategies are, like a chess master, and then learning how to use the mind's strategies and momentum against it, like a judo master. People sometimes ask me, how did you gain such an understanding of the nature of the mind at such a young age? 
And my answer is very simple, because I love it. I've learned to enjoy the chess match that the ego presents me with each and every day. And I've gained a huge amount of love and respect for it. Because after all, ego is a creation of source intelligence. And so we have to give it some credit. It is brilliantly clever and crafty at what it does. A worthy opponent for awareness. But like Agent Smith in The Matrix, it has limitations. But you, pure awareness, are unlimited. You are the one. And having a deep conviction of this fact is itself a component of mastery. In our first episode, we touched on the importance of practicing how to cultivate the different qualities of consciousness within ourselves. Because the more we practice accessing these energies within us, the more we gain the ability to generate them in any situation where we need them. So practicing the state of love or practicing peace of mind, for example. So I want to return to that conversation from last week in discussing the difference between levels and states of consciousness. And to understand this comparison better, let's take a look at this graph. As we discussed in our previous episode, a level of consciousness indicates how much energy is produced from that quality of consciousness. Whereas a state of consciousness indicates different levels of awareness that we gain access to as we master more and more of these qualities of consciousness. It indicates the capacity one has to produce energy. So on the left we have an abridged version of the Hawkins map of consciousness, and on the right is the SQ chart. The SQ chart shows different states of spiritual intelligence. So according to the Hawkins map of consciousness, we know that shame produces a 50 level of energy, and fear produces a 100 level of energy. When someone is struggling with these energies, they are in the state of insanity, being divided and separated from oneself. But once someone has transcended these levels, they are now in the state of sanity. Now this doesn't mean that they don't experience shame or fear anymore. It just means that they are no longer dominated by these energies. They're beginning to gain a degree of mastery over them. But the higher we move up the chart, the more mastery or transcendence that we gain over these levels. On the other hand, once someone has integrated the qualities of reason and love, which calibrate at 400 and 500 respectively, then they are in the state of awakening. Awakening is the level of intelligence of the heart chakra. When our SQ is elevated to this level, we are awakening to oneness and unity, which means that our SQ is somewhere between 101 to 125. So by comparing these two graphs, we can see that mastery is a double-edged sword. It is a two-fold process because we are made up of yin and yang, masculine and feminine, intelligence and energy. And this is why Ra calls it intelligent energy in the Law of One. True mastery means you have control over your energy and your state of mind. And so it cannot be attained by focusing only on one or the other because eventually you'll create an imbalance. We must work on cultivating control of energy and mind together because ultimately they are one. The mind 
is energy. And so in the coming episodes, I'm going to be giving you many such practices for feminine cultivation, such as pranayama breathwork and chakra activation, as well as masculine-oriented practices, such as meditation, contemplation, and self-inquiry. To give you an example of what some of these imbalances might look like, the Institute of HeartMath has done some amazing studies on the brainwave scans of advanced meditators. And when putting certain Tibetan monks under these brainwave scans in meditation, it revealed that their brainwaves were firing in an amazing balance of beta, alpha, theta, delta, and gamma all simultaneously which indicates the ability to enter much higher states of consciousness, of bliss and God union. But when they put a particular group of Zen monks under the same EEG scans, the data revealed that there was an almost total absence of gamma waves, but a high amount of delta and theta waves, which indicates that they were achieving really deep states of inner silence, but producing almost no energy in the mind to achieve higher states of consciousness. And when asked about this, they explained that their entire meditative philosophy was the traditional Zen meditation technique called simply sitting, where one literally sits in front of a blank wall and stares at the wall for hours to sort of break the mind like one would break a horse. But because they hadn't practiced cultivating their energy, they couldn't experience the same superhuman levels of consciousness that the Tibetan monks could access. Now obviously, it's not like this is a big problem or something. <laughs> it's great to be able to enter deep states of inner silence, but it means that there's still a huge amount of untapped potential. And this imbalance can also happen on the feminine side of the spectrum as well. There's many advanced yogis and spiritual adepts who have incredible psychic abilities for channeling, healing, clairvoyance, telepathy, remote viewing, and you name it. But nevertheless, they still have huge egos, addictive habits, and lots of negative self-talk. So without cultivating mastery of mind and energy, there will always be an imbalance in the system. And a true master is one who has no imbalances. So it's always to your benefit to work on cultivating both simultaneously rather than just one or the other. Now, I'm sure that some of you are curious about the three states of mastery that we discussed in episode one. So I wanna to touch on these briefly before we close. If we look back at the SQ chart, we can see that these three states correlate with the throat, third eye, and crown chakras. The I am state, the flow state, and the channeling state. And so the question you may have in looking at this chart is, does someone have to reach these levels of SQ before they can access these states? And the answer is no. These states can be practiced at any level of SQ. But the caveat is, the lower one's SQ level, the more difficult it is to create these states and to maintain them. As we stated last week, the I am state is the state of mind-heart coherence, and it represents the first state of mastery correlating to the throat chakra. And this is because in order to be in that state permanently, one must have gained mastery over love at the level of the heart and peace at the level of the throat. 
So an SQ level of 150 means that one is permanently in the state of mind-heart coherence. It is natural and effortless at that level. But it can be practiced at any level of SQ. It's just increasingly difficult to create the state of mind-heart coherence the lower one's SQ level is. But paradoxically, practicing these states of mastery is one way of raising one's SQ level. And so the same principle holds true for the flow and channeling states. At 175, one is permanently living in a flow state. And at 200 SQ, one is permanently living in a channeling state. But what do these states actually mean? As we said in the beginning, we are bringing some new terminology to these teachings that will invite us to have a fresh and open perspective of the enlightenment path without all of the stigmas and baggage that typically come with these terms. So do your best to leave your labels at the door and thinking you understand what these terms mean. For example, the channeling state does not mean that one is always talking to ETs or deceased relatives. <laughs> it can mean that, but what it means fundamentally is that one is always tapped into the field of higher consciousness. As Ra would say it, one is living in the gateway to intelligent infinity. You have access to higher knowledge at the snap of a finger because you're essentially always plugged into that field. And so the channeling state represents the highest level of mastery because it means that one has transcended the world of form to such an extent that one is basically living with one foot in the manifest, one foot in the unmanifest. And this is why beings in that state, such as Christ or the Buddha, basically always sound like they're channeling. Everything that comes out of their mouth is incredibly profound and full of wisdom because they're always tapped into the field of higher consciousness. So it's completely effortless and natural at that level. So 200 and above represents the third state of mastery or the channeling state. And a 175 SQ represents the second state of mastery or the flow state. And the flow state doesn't mean that one is always playing a sport or dancing or writing music. It can mean that, but what it means in essence is that the physical body has completely merged with the flow of life. And there's no more conceptual thought that gets in the way of that connection any longer. So one who is in the flow state has the feeling of being lived. And so this is why 175 is the state of non-doership. Because at this level of awareness, one doesn't have any sense of doing anything. And if you want to capture what a 175 SQ would feel like, you can try to imagine the last time that you were in a deep flow state doing something you enjoy. And imagine being in that quality of consciousness all the time. So the flow state can absolutely be practiced at any level, but at a 175 level, it becomes natural and automatic. And lastly, the I am state is the first state of mastery. And as we said, it is the state of mind-heart coherence. So it doesn't mean that one is always experiencing pure bliss. It can mean that, but what it means fundamentally is that one is basically living in a meditative state. There's no more attachment 
to the exterior world whatsoever, which is why 150 correlates to the state of non-attachment. So one is living in a state of deep alertness and presence. You could say living from the heart, meaning that everything the mind perceives is now first being filtered through the heart. The heart is now leading the show rather than the mind. And so again, this state can be practiced at any level of SQ, but it becomes one's default state of being once one reaches a 150 SQ. So I hope that you are inspired by this new perspective of the awakening path, because my greatest desire for this series is to ignite within you a passion and a joy to pursue your own spiritual development. If humanity needs one thing right now, more than anything, it is purpose and reason for being alive. And I cannot put into words the happiness and fulfillment that you can wake up with each and every day once self-mastery and self-discovery become your highest priority in life. And if humanity is going to reach a fourth density world, we must begin to gain mastery over our inner world. And that's exactly what this series aims to help us do. So in our next episode, we're going to take a closer look at the intelligence of the energy centers and what aspects of our shadow must be transcended in order to access these levels of intelligence. My name is Aaron Abke, and I'll see you in our next episode.